Hey, we're in a series called Appearances, where we're talking about the appearances of Christ before we talk about the appearance of Christ. The appearance of Christ meaning his birth. And so uh, I'm of the firm belief that not only do you not play Christmas music, but you don't talk about Jesus' birth until after Thanksgiving. So all of those things, my wife has been trying, she tries to sneak in a tree like every other day. Like, babe, it's just, four, it's just four weeks. That's all we get. I'm like, that's all we get. It's just one holiday. You only get four weeks of decorations. So we have an argument about this. Not really an argument. It's just love and joy. But, but for, for me, it's like, th- th- this is what happens. You're not allowed to talk about the appearance of Christ until at least December 1st hits or November 28th, whatever it is. And so we're talking about the appearances, or the big theological beefy word is Christophanies. Can you all say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Christophanies, okay? And that means Christ appearances. So Christ is all up in the Old Testament. He appears all up in the Old Testament. Today we're going to study his appearance in Judges 6. So please turn there with me, Judges 6, 11. If you're brand new, if it's your first time, we like to cut right to the butter. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet. It's the bread of life. It's what guides us, leads us, goes before us, goes behind us, it sustains us, it keeps us. The Word of God is everything. And so we like to start with the Word of God, let the Word of God drive, and then we like to end with the Word of God. And so that's where we're going to be at this morning in Judges 6.11. We're giving a message from the Word of God. I do not like that us pastors are calling it talk now. They're like, what, what should we call it? What's relevant? Let's call it a talk. No, you give a talk on like the benefits of aloe for your skin. You give a talk on like the new iOS. You don't give a talk. This is the word of God coming alive to the transformation of the people, even when we're tired, even when we're broken. This this word of God can can cut through bone and soul and spirit and and marrow. So that's where we're going this morning, Judges 6.11. Now the angel of the Lord, again, most people, most scholars believe this is a Christophany, came and sat under the terebinth. Raise your hand if you, uh, if you thought that was a, a way, uh, like a, a maze. Anybody else? Just me. All right. I always thought it was a maze, but it's really a, a, a small, why does it say terebinth that? I blame Jeremy, even though I made the slides. <laughs> a terebinth is a small tree of the cashew family, all right, at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press. Now, you don't need to know the process of wheat or wine to know that you ain't supposed to beat out wheat in a wine press, to hide it from the Midianites, okay? So just so you know, I need to give cultural context here, historical context. Wine was made in a carved-out stone, either a circular carved-out stone or a square carved-out stone, and it did not have access to wind. So this is very curious. This is very cowardly what's going on here. He's beating out wheat in a wine press, when wind is like one-third of the process of beating out wheat. Okay, so it's a winnowing process where you toss the wheat up and you let the wind carry away the chaff. I don't know what chaff is, but you don't want it on your wheat. Okay, I looked it up and it still did not give me an explanation. You don't want it on your wheat. You need the wind. It's like one-third of the process, right? The wind is important. Like I got this, I got this TV in my house, uh, and I, I'm a guy who will search online to get the best deal possible. I don't care if it's a name brand or not. And so I got this TV. It's got no name brand. It's like Samsung or something like that. It's like Hamsung, and it's like, it doesn't really matter to me. I got the deal online, and it was $100 less than everything else, and so I'm high-fiving around the house. I'm meeting people. They're like, hey, my name's Tom. I'm like, you wouldn't believe the deal I got on this Samsung. And so I'm excited about this TV, but it comes in, and it's got no volume button on the TV. Now you're like, Justin, you go, it comes with a controller. Not when you got three kids. Like, I haven't seen a controller since the 90s. 
I don't know where the controller is. Probably somewhere on the ceiling fan or something. I don't know where the controller is. And so, like, volume is one-third of the process of watching TV, right? You turn on the TV, one. You go to the channel you want, two. I don't have cable, but, you know, you pick the app you want, two, and then you turn up the volume or turn down the volume, three. It's like one-third of the process. It's critical. Think about it like that. This is critical. The wind is a necessity. It's not an option. It's full-on critical to the winnowing process of beating out wheat. And here is our man living in fear, beating out wheat in a wine press. I want to talk about living a life on defense today or living a life on offense. Because our friend here is living a life on defense. He's living a life on retreat. He's scared. He does not believe God has his back. He does not believe that God is going to show up. He does not believe that he is strong. He does not believe that he is mighty and that the God that lives inside of him is mighty. He, he's living a life on retreat. Now let's pull over for a minute because you, you may be thinking, how come uh, they're under the oppression of these guys called the Midianites? Like didn't they just get out of bondage in Egypt? And that, that's true. But the Israelites are in this cycle. It's cyclical. Their sin is cyclical. And they keep on finding themselves under the oppression, under the thumb of different people. You got the Midianites, the Amalekites, a bunch of other ites. You got the Philistines and a bunch of other eens. All right, and they're always under the thumb of somebody, and it's cyclical. And if you don't understand this cycle, you don't understand the book of Judges. If you don't understand this cycle, you don't understand the Old Testament. And you may not understand your own life. So this cycle is really important. I want to talk about this cycle for a minute. It starts with this, this moment where you, you find yourself in evil, uh, just direct evil uh, or, or direct disobedience to God. It's this word apostasy. The Bible calls it apostasy. Doesn't that creep you out? Say, say apostasy with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Apostasy. It's just a creepy word. Like it's one of the only words that fits staring off into the distance and pointing dramatically. You know? Apostasy with your eyes like this. It just fits because it's creepy. And it is creepy. You know, you know what it means? It means the direct disobedience. The deliberate disobedience, the deliberate walking away from God. That's what apostasy means. And so they would directly and deliberately walk away from God. Now here's the thing about God. He gave you this thing called free will. And he will allow you to walk away from him. Did you know that? If you want to deliberately choose to worship another God, to worship another way of life, to deliberately walk away from Jesus himself, he will allow you to because he will not go offside on your free will. He allows you to have it. He doesn't want you to be a robot. He loves you enough to give you your own free will to love him back. And if you want to walk away, he'll let you. We call that allowance. And then we have what's called an oh snap moment. Right? Recognition and repentance. I call it oh snap. Because you think, oh snap, what have I done? Why did I think that I could live without my God? Why did I think I could win life without the presence of God, without the protection of God, without the plan of God? How did I think I was going to go on? And we go, oh snap. Repentance just means the deliberate walking away from sin and the deliberate walking toward Jesus. And we start to walk toward God. And here's the thing about God. He loves you more than you've ever loved anybody. His mercy is boundless. God is like that father who's sitting at home, his daughter's out late at night, he don't trust the man. All right, I'm just getting ready, because my daughter, she's like eight right now, and so I'm like, oh boy, I, I'm not, I don't even trust the guy already. He's 16, I don't know what his name is, 
but I'm prophesying, I don't trust him. And God is like that man at home, and he's calling his daughter, and his daughter's not picking up, and he's going into Liam Neeson mode, right? Taken. My daughter must have been taken. And so he starts to get things, he starts to knock down walls and knock people's heads together because he just wants to get his daughter back. That is our God. When you, when you decide, I'm going to fully turn around, he's like, I've been waiting. Just give me a minute, I'll find you. You have free will. So when you repent and you turn toward him, he's going to meet you halfway down the driveway. He's going to run and get you. And then he goes into rescue mode, which is lifeguard mode. He's going to pick you up, pull you out of the scenario that you're in. Now these people, these people have been going through this. This is their fifth judge. Their fifth time where, where they haven't appreciated God's rescue, his love, his plan. And so they go into apostasy. He allows it. They repent, and then he rescues them. It's their fifth cycle at least. And this is after he brings them out of Egypt. And so these people are going through this over and over again. They keep on forgetting who God is and what he's done. And maybe this is starting to sound familiar to you. Maybe this is why you don't trust God. But this is where they're at. And here's the thing about these Midianites. They're bullies. Anybody remember O'Doyle rules? All right, a couple of you. Those type of bullies, like Letterman jacket, pour oatmeal on the head, give you a wedgie type of bullies. I mean, these guys are weird bullies. This is, uh, in Rewind, this is verse 2. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come against them. It's like they, it says they're like locusts, and they would just eat all the food. They're literally bullies who are stealing lunch. And these people are living in such fear that they're hiding in caves. They're making their stronghold in caves. Like how much oppression do you have to live under to go, you know what, that cave looks really good. I'm just going to carve out a little, I'm going to put a little lamp over there, a little plant, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel great. I don't need a, an apartment anymore, I just need a cave. That's the fear that these people are living in. And Israel, verse 6, was brought very low because of Midian. How many know you've got to be brought low before you're brought high? Let's, just, just, let's take a little cul-de-sac here. We hate the low. We hate conviction. But you've got to be brought low before you're able to be brought high. That, that's how the cycle goes. Before you even recognize this oh snap moment, what have I done? Before you repent, you have to find the low. Now, when, when you're convicted of something, this is for Christians, especially ones who have been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you feel like you have no sin left. You feel like you've arrived. When you feel conviction, you're at a fork in the road. And you can either let it become shame and you can go back in, in, in the wrong way in the cycle. Or, or you can go, you know what, I, I feel convicted. God is trying to teach me something. God is trying to bring me low before he brings me high. And you can learn from that. You've got to be brought low before you're able to be brought high. So side note real quick. And then the people of Israel cried out for, the help, uh, for help to the Lord. So they decided to repent. They decided to have that oh snap moment. All right? You can bring the, the, the graph back up here for a minute. Okay. So this is where they're at, right? Apostasy, God allowed it. They're in recognition and repentance. Now, I think we have context here. We know where Gideon is at. Our friend Gideon here is beating out wheat in a wine press. Uh, he thinks that he's going to get shoved in his own locker. 
at some point. He thinks that someone is going to steal his lunch or maybe give him a swirly. And so he's hiding out. And some of us have been here living in this defensive position. This is what I'm going to talk about today. Some of us have been living in a defensive position. Now, you don't have the exact circumstances that Gideon has. Okay, I get that. Now, some of you do feel oppressed. Some of you do feel like, I, I, I can't get pulled over. Some of you feel that oppression. So you feel those circumstances exactly. And some of you just feel, not the circumstances, but the feelings, the emotions of living on defense. Of living as a person in retreat. You don't know who you are. You don't know who God is to you. Anytime you feel any sort of suffering, you feel the fragility of life. Like you feel fragile. You feel like you want to retreat. You feel like when you throw your hands up, God, you don't even care anymore. You're just on defense all the time. Somebody brings a charge against you, and you just start, you're, you're on Facebook, and you're blah, 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 blah. Listen, if, if you feel defensive, it's because you were offensive at some point. We get defensive. And I think that I've lived life constantly on defense. Even as a pastor, I, I just feel like, I feel like I don't have the confidence in God or myself. And I'm the one, on, I'm, on, I'm, I'm the fool online just commenting on everybody's stuff. Like, no, uh that, That's been me all the time. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're willing to admit that this morning. You're living on defense. You're living on retreat. Join me in, in that repentance of that. Because anything that God calls you to is going to be on offense. It's going to be on offense. Anything that God calls you to is going to require the confidence and who he is, and the confidence in who he made you. So if you're living on defense, you can't go on offense. Some of you guys remember that uh, me and Pedro danced up here one Sunday, about six months ago. Uh, this morning, me and Pedro are going to fight. Come on up, Pedro. Yeah, give it up for Pedro. This is going to be the most entertaining Sunday morning you've ever been to where two pastors fight. Look at him. <laughs> Pedro is pretty burly, isn't he? Like, I wouldn't want to see Pedro in that. He's, he's burly. He's got that nice beard. All right. So here's the thing. Anybody who knows anything about fighting knows that if you're in a retreating position, you're not in an offensive position, you're just kind of lax or you're just kind of fearful. You don't know who you are or what you got or what you're bringing to the fight table. You know that it's very easy. If this is my stance, it's because I'm in retreat. All Pedro has to do is hit me a little bit, right? And I'm out. That's it. Because I'm, I'm in retreat. And some of you just feel that way. Maybe you don't know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you're always on your heels. Maybe you don't know what it's like for God to rescue you because you've never trusted him to rescue you. Whether it be your finances or that sin or that relationship your identity, your insecurities. You, you have these deep insecurities that are just kind of burrowing their way into who you are, and you can't even see how intricate they are anymore. And that's who you're living on defense. And so one more time, if I'm on defense, all he has to do is give me a little shove. And you feel fragile. You feel fragile. That James 1 text that talks about that, that person being blown and tossed back and forth by the winds of life, that's you. But if you also know anything about fighting, you know if you're in an offensive stance, my, my, my right hand is my favorite hand, and so my, my back foot is here, and it comes from my hips. You know if you're in an offensive stance, and you got your hands up, and you believe in what you have, 
You believe in what you have. Not in who you are, but in the strength that you have, whether it be from God or from yourself. We'll talk about that later. But you believe in what you have. If I'm like this, Pedro can knock me all day long, right? Okay, 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 right, right, right. Wow. I was just, it's an illustration, bro. Relax. He's got some stuff stored up against me, okay? He can hit me a little bit. He can hit me a little bit, right? And so thank give Pedro a round of applause. Hit me so hard, my shoe untied. If you're in an offensive stance and you know who you are in Jesus, you know who you are in Jesus, I believe that you can go and do anything for Jesus that he calls you to. The thing about God is he's not asking you to just live, eat, and then die. Like try to find happiness and then die. That's not your place on this planet. Live, eat, find happiness, die. It's not it. He wants to give you something. He's working up something right now. Specifically for you. He's already worked it up. Specifically for you. It's a calling special to you. It's a calling important to you. And it's a calling important to him. And he's working it up right now. And if you're living life on defense, you, you cannot, you don't have a base. You don't have a foundation. You'll just get tossed. Um, let's, let's talk about God on offense, okay? God is going to take Gideon from defense to offense. And it's amazing. Here's God on offense, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Valor translates valiant warrior. Remember, this guy is beating out wheat in a wine press. Valor is the, is the, is the main word on the Medal of Honor. And this guy's beating out wheat in a wine press. And God says, oh mighty man of valor. Like I'm pretty sure if they had like the technology back in the day to create protective bubbles, he would have had one for every day of the week. He would have had a blue one, a green one, a, a, a pink one. He would have had a different color for every day of the week. He'd have a bunch of protective bubbles. This man is afraid to play outside. And God says, you are a mighty man of valor. Gideon talks back later on, please Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. It's the weakest. Meaning at the Israelite picnic, my clan loses tug of war every time. Israel's broken up into clans. My, my clan always loses. In my own household, when we wrestle, I lose every time. How am I supposed to be this man that you're calling me to be? I, I can't be that. You can taste the irony in this. You can taste it. Oh, mighty man who's beating out wheat in a wine press. Oh, mighty man who can't even win a battle in his own household. I'm going to take you to win a war. We're going to discover the why this morning. See, God is not confident in Gideon. I don't think God is confident in me or you, really. We have to find out, if, if he's not confident in us, if he's not confident in Gideon, what's he confident in? Now, he made you in his image, and so he is confident in how he made you. And God will long see something in you before you see it in yourself. Do you know that? He sees something in you a, a long time ago, well before you even noticed, oh, I'm, I'm okay at that. I'm pretty good at that. God, God created me to be pretty good at that. So, so God is going to show us where his confidence is in. But remember, he's calling you to something. He's going to use... He's going to use a word. He's going to use a Bible verse. 
He's going to use a person. He's going to use a worship song. He's going to use a website. He's going to use something to tell you that he's calling you. He's going to use a combo pack of it all. And he's calling you to something. And he wants you to know that you can have confidence and you can go on offense in what it is. And here's, here's my first note. Like, just take it. Stop arguing with God all the time. Just take it. God is calling Gideon to something, and he cannot just take it. I have a philosophy in life. It's called just take it. If you take me out to lunch and you say, I'm a pay, guess what I do? I just take it. I do one of those fake things where like, oh, no, I'll pay, I'll pay, pay. You'll end up paying because I'm going to just take it. It's my philosophy in life because I believe it's a blessing to you and it's a blessing to me. I'm not the most generous person on the planet, but I've been generous long enough and often enough to know that money is money, things are things, food is food, but blessing someone is like hot chili to the soul. It just massages your soul when you bless somebody. Like I had this one dude, I was discipling him, and he bought me Jordans. Not a rich guy. His wife was like, you did what? Okay, you did what with our budget? He bought me Jordans, $150 Jordans. I still keep them fresh to this day. I get home and I'm, I, I get the thing out and I, like these are, these are fresh Jordans, my only pair. Now, some of you are like, that's a little bit off, Pastor, that you received that from him. Many of you would have been like, no, 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 I can't take it. No, I can't do it. Or you would take it to their face and then you would like give it away because you feel guilty having it, right? Not me. My philosophy, just take it, right? Because this man dreamed up this opportunity. He did by himself. He's like, I know Justin likes these Jordans. I'm going to go pick them out myself. He puts them in a box, right? He puts a little bow on that thing. He calls me up. He's like, I want to meet you at the church. We meet at the church, and he says, I got something for you. And he watches my face as I open this. This man dreamed up this blessing, this opportunity, and it was like hot chili to his soul. Am I going to rob him of that? This is what Christians do. No, you buy. No, you buy. It's okay. I'll buy. It's, it's to me. This is what we do. Don't just take it. God is blessing them. He's blessing you. This is what God is doing by this opportunity. He's blessing you. He loves to give you things. He loves to give you a calling. He loves to call you out, something that you've never seen in yourself. He loves to give you confidence in what he's going to do through you. And so just take it. Gideon is about to not take it. He's he's about to miss one of the greatest stories of all time. Gideon has an OG story. Original gangster story. He, his story is amazing. He takes 300 people, 300 men, and he, he, he wins a war with no weapons against thousands and thousands of Midianites and Amalekites. God's like, you, you just take 300, and I want you to surround them. Surround them at night and, and bring torches and like hipster mason jars, right? Glass jars, and, and, and then I want you to bring the trumpets. Like, that's an intimidating instrument. Bring the trumpets. Not even the drums. Like, I would have brought the drums. Like, boom, boom. Like, that, for me, that's like a heartbeat. It's like, that's going to scare somebody. He says, no, bring the trumpets. It's like, that doesn't do anything. He says, just get these things. No weapons. And they surround the camp. And God's giving these men nightmares. Nightmares. And these men are like, are we going to lose this battle? And all of a sudden, they hear the smashing of the jars they see the lighting of the torches and they hear the trumpets and they start to kill each other and run. And God wins the war through one recovering coward holic and 300 men against what the Bible says is men like locusts. That's an OG story. 
And he almost missed it because he wouldn't just take it. Just take it. God sees something in you. More importantly, he sees something in himself. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, to end today. Um, But I don't want your insecurities, your intricate insecurities, to rob you of having a beautiful story in Jesus. A heroic story. A supernatural, big bicep story. I, I don't want you to miss that. Um, I think typically what happens when God calls us to something is we start to offer our viewpoint, don't we? God, you got the wrong person. That's probably what Gideon did. Are you, are you talking to anybody but me? <laughs> you must be talking to anybody but me. Anybody that's not beating wheat out of, in a wine press. We start to offer him our viewpoint. Listen, your viewpoint is like the nosebleed section. You ain't got much. God is not interested in your viewpoint. Your viewpoint's really not that good. Is that, is that fair? It might come off mean, but it's just, I think it's fair. My viewpoint is not that good. It's very limited. It's the nosebleed section, and if you don't like sports, of a concert. You can barely see anything. God is like, I'm not, I'm not interested in you telling me who you are and what you have, because God never was confident in who you are and what you had. He was never confident in that. I'm going to tell you what he's confident in, but let's look at the scripture first. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. That's so important. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, uh, can, can you all say this next word? One, two, three, if. Say it with me, one, two, three. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Did that, that man say if? Jesus is standing in front of him. And he says, if the Lord is with us. He's right there. What do you mean if? Oh, this is so us. What do you mean if? He's standing right there. This is what we do. Okay, I know, God, that it was our apostasy, and we don't really care about you at all, and we started worshiping other gods, but it doesn't feel like you have our back, even though you're standing right in front of us. Man, this is me. The moment something turns the wrong way, that's me. If you're with me, God. He's like, I've been standing here the whole time. All right, here's the big idea. Here's where we get all said to them, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. But I'll be with you. My father was always a bigger man. Um, Now he he got one of these. He calls it his hedge of protection from women. pretty cute. He's got one of these. He's always been a bigger guy. Uh, he's always been a strong man. I always wondered, like, when, when we were driving, he would always beat on the steering wheel, and he only needed his fingers. But the, just his fingers alone made this, this strong noise. I'm like, what is going on with his fingers? Because my fingers did not do that when I was little. Now they do that. But, but, but before, I'm like, well, he's so strong. And so it didn't really matter what we were doing. My father's always been adventurous. He'd pull over at a creek, and he's like, let's go jump off that rope into that creek. And we'd be the only people there, the only white people willing to get out of the car and just go jump in a creek. And everybody's driving by like, what are these people doing? Right? That was just, that was us. That was my dad. He's always wandered up front in a, in a, in a baseball game. Like, we got seats way in the back. My dad, mad sneaky, he's like, you know what? Let's just go down there. He's always doing adventurous stuff. 
He's always jumping off of things, right? He's always like, let's go jump off that. We jumped off of bridges, little bridges in the, in the, in the water. We just did that. And I was like 10, and he's jump off this bridge. Let's go do this together. I did all those things with my dad because he was so strong. I would never have done them alone. But with him there, with the company that I had, I'd do anything. I'd do anything. God is not confident in you or what you have. He's confident in the company that you keep. Please get that before we go out of here. He's not confident in you or what you... It's not like he got the Trinity together. He's like, son, spirit, let's get together. Look at what Pedro's got. Woo, it's good. We're going to use him. No, God is confident in how he created Pedro. God is confident in the specific, intricate, life-giving characteristics that he gave Pedro. And he's confident in the company that Pedro has. God himself. This happens all throughout the Old Testament. Men are offering their perspective. God tells Moses, Moses, go to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses offers his perspective. Here's who I am and here's what I have. I'm only this and I have a stuttering problem. And God tells him, I don't. I don't have a stuttering problem. Matter of fact, I created the mouth. He tells Abraham, I'm going to create a nation through you. What does Abraham do? I'm a hundred. And they haven't came up with those, those that, you know, that science yet that helps the hundred-year-olds get past this problem that I have. Right? What does God tell them? I don't have that problem. Right? Then God later on creates the Son of Man, Jesus himself, through a virgin. All along, man has been telling him, this is who I am and this is what I got. And God has been saying, this has never been about you. This is who I am and what I got. Right? That's, what, that's the narrative of the Old Testament. This is who I am and what I have. At one point, I think it's really bad English, and it's actually Hebrew or Aramaic, but God, like God says to Moses, Moses is like, who do I say sent me? And God says, tell him I am sent you. I'm pretty sure that's the wrong sentence in every form of language. Tell him I am sent you. But if you look into it, what does that mean? Who created the sun, the moon, and the star? Who's the guy that created everything? I am. Who's the guy that created that mouth? I am. Who's the God that created humanity? I am. Who's the God that created the stars? I am. Who's the God that is going to beat up thousands and thousands of people with just 300 men? I am. God, God's narrative is about himself and you just getting to be a part of the journey. So if you're not confident in yourself this morning, be confident in him and who he made you. And be confident that he's picking you. Because if he's picking you, that means he's got a plan. That means he's going somewhere with you. Just take it. I often feel like I don't understand why God chose me to do what I get to do. And worship team, come up here. <clears throat> Some of you know the story, but in high school, my, my first speech in front of people the content was horrible, uh, and I just stuttered the whole way. I saw there was, you know, some people that I wanted to impress, and I just stuttered through this entire speech. And now God has me talking in front of people every Sunday for the last, since I can remember. And then he picked a man with a lust problem to be in a marriage with a really pure woman, 
and have an exemplary marriage for people to see. And he brought me through that lust problem, and he taught me how to be a man of purity who loves his wife and then can offer help to other men and women as they struggle with the same thing. I often don't understand why God picked me to do what I, but I don't really need to know because he saw something in me long before I saw it in myself. And it's the same story for you. Let's pray and ask God for that confidence this morning. I pray as we, as we say this, I pray as we um, ask God for, for these revelations this morning, I pray that his Holy Spirit will fill this room. Because I'm sure you all need a word like I do. When you came to church, you just need a word, man. You just need a word. God, we need a word this morning. What are you calling us to? What are you calling us to? What are you calling each individual to? Every soul in this room has something special they need to go about, and they need to go about it soon. And it needs to be offensive. It needs to be on the offense. It needs to be confident in who you are and how you created us and how much you love us and how much you forgive us and that you've already finished what you started. That when you said on the cross, it is finished, you meant it. That yes, we are sinners, but we are sinners saved by an ocean of grace. We swim in that grace. We live in that mercy and you forgive us and you employ us and you pick us and you choose us and you charge us and you set us up. You go in the dreams before our enemies. You go behind our enemies. And somehow you love our enemies all at the same time, God. I don't know how you do it, but God, we are grateful this morning and we want to step in confidence, in power into what you call us to. So God, would you speak to the hearts and souls of the people in this room? Would you speak to them? Would you love them? Would you do surgery on the soul this morning? Would you tell them who they are? Would you remind them? Because we forget all the time. We forget that you told us once and you told us twice and you rescued us 45 times. We forget all those things. Would you be a reminder this morning? Can we walk out of here with confidence even though we're tired? Would you wake us up? Would you set our feet to action? I trust that right now there are people in this room who you've been setting up this message for months now. You've been, you've been talking to them. You've been asking them to do something for months. And this is the confirmation that they needed this morning. To go about your business with confidence in you and who you are in them. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, God. Don't let us fear the idea of the Holy Spirit. God, we know the Holy Spirit is supposed to be inside of us. And so we cannot fear the Holy Spirit. You made us spiritual beings and you fill us with the Holy Spirit. So I pray that we would not fear this morning, but we would step in confidence in, in, in the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. God, we worship you that you choose us. God, I worship you that you chose me knowing my sin, knowing how weak I am, knowing what a fool I can be. You chose me. 
let's stand up. Let's stand up together. God has made you a soldier. He's made you a son. He's made you a daughter. He's given you inheritance. He's given you himself. You are not a victim. Whoever you are, whatever race you are, whatever gender you are, you are not a victim. God loves you. He employs you. He sets your feet on solid ground, and he believes that you are going to do amazing things. And this is not the health and wealth gospel. This is confidence in who he is and who he made you and why he made you. Love you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. Speak to us. powerful name of the resurrected Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.